You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Qalam is pleased to announce that admissions for the next Qalam seminary intake are now open. For more information, please visit qalaminstitute.org. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, As-Siratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we talked about some of the uh, events of the third year of Hijrah, the third year of the Prophet ﷺ residence in the city of Medina. Over the last couple of sessions, what we've been talking about, some of the incidents that occurred after the Battle of Badr. We've been talking about post-Badr. But what's very interesting, and I've mentioned this before as well, whenever you discuss uh, events that are post-Badr, you have to keep in mind as well at the same time that anything that is post-Badr is pre-Uhud. What I mean by saying that is obviously not just in terms of the, you know, the chronological order, that if something came after Badr, it obviously came before Medina, uh, excuse me, it obviously came before the Battle of Uhud, but what I mean by that as well is that a lot of the events that happened after the Battle of Badr happened because of what transpired at the Battle of Badr. And all of those events were directly tied to eventually lead to what would end up happening at the Battle of Uhud. So they all culminated into the Battle of Uhud. So everything is kind of tied together in this particular period and time of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and everything that is transpiring uh, politically, socially, communally, everything that is happening at this time, it is all very closely tied together. So what we're going to be talking about today inshaAllah is the Battle of Uhud itself. So first and foremost, um, when did the Battle of Uhud occur? So the general consensus, well actually we know for a fact that it occurred in the third year of Hijrah. The third year of the Prophet's residence in the city of Medina. The second thing is that there is again a consensus amongst the scholars that it occurred in the month of Shawwal. It happened in the month of Shawwal, so it was after Ramadan. Badr happened in Ramadan, and so this happened 13 months after Badr. This happened 13 months after Badr. As far as the date is concerned, majority of the scholars in the popular position of the seerah is that it occurred in the middle of the month of Shawwal, without any specification of a date. However, some scholars of the seerah have specifically said that it occurred on the... 11th of the month of Shawwal, which also was a Sunday. So some of the scholars have gotten a little bit more specific. Ibn Ishaq and others, they say that it happened in the middle of the month of Shawwal. But then some of them, Qatada and others are more specific where they say it was a Sunday, Yawm al-Sabt, and it was the Al-Hadi Ashar min Shawwal. So this was the 11th day of the month of Shawwal. So either way, we know that it happened in the month of Shawwal, in the third year of Hijrah, 13 months after the Battle of Badr. The second thing is that, of course, the battle took place at the place of Uhud. The battle occurred at the place of Uhud. Why, why is it called Uhud? Uhud is specifically the name of a mountain there. It's a small mountain where the battle took place, and it took place right close to there. And that's why if anyone's ever been for Hajj and Umrah, when you go for the ziyarah to Medina, then oftentimes you will end up visiting the place of Uhud, right? And where the shuhada are, and so that is where the battle took place. 
There's a little bit of a discussion amongst the scholars uh, of the seerah that talk about why is it called Uhud. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, Summiya Uhudun Uhudan litawahudihi min bayni tilka al-jibal. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says, when you go there, you see that there are you know, groups of kind of mountains, like almost like a mini mountain range in the area, and Uhud kind of is separated from all of them. Uhud is kind of standing on its own. And so they say that Uhud is called Uhud, or it was named Uhud by the people of that area because لِتَوَحُدِهِ Because it stands separate from the rest of the mountains. The Prophet of Allah وسلم, he says in a narration, in a hadith, Uhudun Jabalun Yuhibbuna wa Nuhibbuhu. The Prophet وسلم, this hadith is from the Sahih of Imam Bukhari and the Sahih of Imam Muslim. It's Muttafaqun Ali that the Prophet وسلم, said, Uhud, it is a mountain, we, um, it loves us and we love it. Now the scholars have discussed and talked about what does that exactly mean? What does that refer to? So one of the opinions of the scholars is obviously, as you can assume, the Prophet ﷺ is literally talking about the mountain, that this is a beloved place. This place loves us and we love it. It is a beloved place. And as we talk about the battle of Uhud, you might, and you might already know some things about the battle, that you might be thinking to yourself, but wait, didn't a lot of tragedies occur at the Battle of Uhud? Then why is the Prophet ﷺ saying, يُحِبُّنَا وَنُحِبُّهُ It loves this and we love it. Right? It loves us and we love it. Why would he say that about a place where such tragedies occurred, like even the killing and the mutilation of his uncle Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu? Well, the answer to that is that granted yes, and we're going to talk about these things, that even those were sacrifices. Those were sacrifices that were made. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted them. And Allah spoke about their forgiveness and their rank and their nobility and their honor. And not only that, but when you look at it, what has transpired over the last 1400 years, it has become a place where people visit from all over the world. All over the world. There are some days at the busier times of year, like around the time of Hajj in the month of Ramadan, when the busier times of the year were at any one given time, there might be tens of thousands of people that are simultaneously present at the same place. Hundreds of thousands of people come and go in the same day. So imagine how many millions, if not tens of millions of people visit that same exact place every single year. And then try to just calculate how many people have visited there over 1400 years. And when they go there, what do they do? This is not like a tourist attraction, like how we go to see places. Where they go there, they take some places, they eat some food, right? They hang around for a little bit and people leave. No, no, no. They go there and they pray there. And they make dua there. And they ask Allah for forgiveness there. And they talk about the Messenger Wasallam there. They recite the Qur'an there. They talk about the ayat of the Qur'an. They send you know, their duas for the shuhada of Uhud. They send salawat on the Prophet Wasallam. They cry. You know, uh, uh, tears when they go there. So think about all the blessings that occur at that blessed place. So the Prophet ﷺ statement, without a doubt, is confirmed. Where the Prophet ﷺ said, this is a place that loves us and we love it. It is a source of blessing. Alright? Sometimes we don't recognize blessings on the, uh, uh, on the outside, but they end up becoming blessings for us, right? Asa an tuhibbu shay'an wa huwa sharru lakum wa asa an takrahu shay'an wa huwa khayru lakum. Right? So initially there was tragedy, there was heartache, there was sadness, there was loss. But that loss and that tragedy and that heartache was not just a loss. It was an investment. 
And until today, we're sitting halfway across the world, 1400 years later, talking about the battle of Uhud. And talking about it in a way that inspires us, and motivates us, and captivates us. Right? So it's a remarkable blessing. Some of the scholars have also said that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, he actually said, Uhudun Jabalun Yuhibbuna wa Nuhibbuhu. He said this about the mountain of Uhud because whenever the Prophet وسلم, would travel outside of Medina, and when they would be getting back home to Medina, they would oftentimes stop right outside of Medina, oftentimes near the place of Uhud. They would stop there. And they would camp there overnight if they were reaching Medina during the evening time. Instead of going ahead on into Medina in the evening time, and you know, kind of you get home early and you surprise your family. But they would be gone for weeks, if not months. So what they would do is they would arrive, they would camp out there and stay the night there. And early in the morning, then they would go ahead and rejoin their families. And there was a lot of wisdom to this. The Prophet of Allah وسلم, in one uh, hadith, he instructed and explained to the Sahaba why I tell you to do this. The Prophet وسلم, said, so that your family members have the time and the opportunity to know that you've gotten home, that you will be coming tomorrow and they can prepare accordingly. They can anticipate your arrival. You can similarly kind of take an evening, take a break, clean up, freshen up a little bit. So that you are also fresh when you get home to your family members. Um, and the Prophet of Allah وسلم, um, also in a hadith, he says, Allahumma barik li ummati fi bukuriha. Right? li ummati fi bukuriha. The Prophet said, There's greater blessing in the early morning. So always try to do something good and noteworthy in the early part of the morning. So going in to rejoin your families early in the morning is better. There's more barakah, there's more blessing. Plus then you get the rest of the day to be able to spend quality time with your families whom you have missed very much and they've missed you. Right? Because the Prophet ﷺ, when he says in a hadith, As-safaru qita'atu min al-adhab, one of the scholars was asked, when the tabi'un, he was asked, Limada. Why is traveling a piece of punishment? He said, لِمُفَارَقَةِ ahbab," Because you're away from the people that you love. Right? So this is one reason why the Prophet ﷺ said this. And then of course, another very beautiful reason is, when the Prophet ﷺ said, أَحَدُ أُحُدٌ جَبَلٌ يُحِبُّنَا وَنُحِبُّهُ That Uhud is a mountain, it loves us and we love it. He was actually referring to the people that live there near Uhud, which is Medina, which are the Ansar. That the Prophet ﷺ, kinayatan, majazan, naming the place instead of the people. He was trying to say that, and this is an element of balagha, eloquence. He was saying that the Ansar are so beloved to me, the Ansar are so beloved to us, they have so much love for us and we have so much love for them, that even the place where they live has become beloved. Even the place where they occupy has become beloved, right? And that's why Imam Suhaili, rahimahullah ta'ala, one of the earlier scholars of the seerah, he actually commented on this by adding the hadith of the Prophet Al-mar'u ma'aman ahab. That a person will be with whomsoever he or she loves. Right? So that because you love the Ansar, you will be amongst the Ansar and with the Ansar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us their company. So this is the battle of Uhud. It occurred in the third year, in the middle of the month of Shawwal, at the place of the mountain of Uhud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about it, just like we saw with Suratul, uh, excuse me, with Ghazwatul Badr, with the battle of Badr in Suratul Anfal. Allah speaks about it in detail. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the battle of Uhud in detail in Surat Ali Imran. From ayahs 121 to 179. 
From Ayahs 121 to 179, Allah speaks about the battle of Uhud. And we'll go through the ayat and take a look at them, inshallah, at our conclusion of the discussion of the battle of Badr. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says very briefly, just to kind of get us started, وَإِذْ غَدَوْتَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ تُبَوِّئُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ مَقَاعِدَ لِلْقِتَالِ وَاللَّهُ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, remember when you left your home, and you left your family, taking the believers along with you and preparing them for battle. Wallahu Samiyun Alim and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was listening and Allah is always fully aware of each and every single thing. And so now moving forward from here to talk about kind of how the battle of Uhud all came together. So as we've talked about in previous narrations, Ibn Ishaq rahimahullahu ta'ala he mentions, Lama Usiba Yawma Badr min Kufari Quraysh Ashabul Qalibi wa Raja Falluhum ila Makkah that when everything that had happened at Badr happened. The loss, the um, death of the killing of some of their key leaders, and the news uh, and the defeated army re reached back, arrived back in Mecca, and there was all that lamenting of the loss, and there was a lot of self-loathing, and there was a lot of humiliation, both in and outside of Mecca because of what transpired at Badr. The narration says that Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah, Ikrama. Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahal and Safwan bin Umayyah. These three key individuals, right, who had all lost, you know, family members, and they were kind of the next generation of leaders of Quraysh, they came to Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan was basically, you know, the only surviving elder from the leadership of Quraysh. So he was the last surviving of the older guard. And so because of that, he had become the de facto leader of Mecca and Quraysh. And so they came to him and they said that, فِي رِجَالٍ مِّن قُرَيْشٍ مِمَّنْ أُصِيبَ آبَاؤُهُمْ وَأَبْنَاؤُهُمْ وَإِخْوَانُهُمْ يَوْمَ بَدْرٍ فَكَلَّمُوا أَبَا سُفْيَانُ وَمَنْ كَانَتْ لَهُ فِي تِلْكَ الْعِيرِ مِّن قُرَيْشٍ تِجَارَةٌ So when Abu Sufyan had come back, remember, Battle of Badr happened because Abu Sufyan had a caravan with a lot of goods and a lot of money. And the Muslims were going to go intercept the caravan and that led to the Battle of Badr. When Abu Sufyan came back with all this wealth and all this investment, they came to Abu Sufyan and they said, look, فَأَعِينُونَا بِهَذَا الْمَالِ عَلَىٰ حَرْبِهِ لَعَلَّنَا نُدْرِكُ مِنْهُ ثَأْرَنَا They said that you do us a favor. Do us a favor. And that is that look what happened to us. Look what the Muslims did to us. Look what Muhammad did to us. So what we would like to ask of you is all this money and the wealth that you've come back with with this trade caravan, we want you to invest this. Donate this to the war fund. Let us build and raise an army that can go and exact revenge from Muhammad and the Muslims. So Abu Sufyan went ahead and agreed. And this is referred to, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in the Qur'an as well. In Surah Al-Anfal, which is about Badr, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about what happens after Badr. This ayah is about Badr, but some of the Mufassirun say it also contains kind of like an implicit, it contains a hint towards the battle of Uhud. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says those who disbelieved, they are spending their wealth to prevent people from following the path of God, and they will very soon spend it. But then they will regret their choice and eventually they will be defeated. 
And so the, when Allah says they are spending their wealth, that refers to Badr. Then when Allah says, فَسَيُنْفِقُونَهَا Very soon they will spend more of it. This is referring to the bad love, Uhud. And then when it says, ثُمَّ يُغْلَبُونَ Then they will be dominated, they will be defeated. The scholars say that this is pointing and hinting towards Fathu Makkah, the conquest of Makkah. So this ayah is a very powerful ayah, basically outlining the, the events that would occur in the Medinan period, from Badr to Fath, from Badr to the conquest of Makkah. So anyways, Quraysh started kind of getting together and you know, amassing all their goods and their army and their people, and also their alliances and their allegiances. So one of the things that they did was, they collaborated with other tribes, Banu Kinana, and the people of Tihama, Banu Kinana and Ahlu Tihama. These were other tribes that were outside of Mecca. They went to them, they, they entered into an agreement with them, and they allied along with them. Similarly, there were the people that were called the Ahabish. Ahabish. Now sometimes when people hear that, they think of Habasha, because sometimes the people of Habasha are also referred to as Ahabish. But these were not the people of Habasha. There was actually a mountain that was outside of Mecca called Habshi. The, the mountain itself was called, excuse me, it was called Hubshi. The mountain was called Hubshi. And so there were some tribes that lived around that mountain. There were some people that lived near that mountain. And because of the mountain, Nisbatu ilahad al-Jabal, they, they were called Ahabish. And so what the people of Mecca, what the Quraysh did was they went and they entered into a strategic alliance with the Ahabish, the people who live near this mountain, with the people of Kinana and the people of Tihama. So now that they had an alliance as well, somewhat of an alliance. At the same time, they said that we need some type of propaganda machine. We spoke about Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf, the half-Jewish, half-Arab poet who was a part of that propaganda machine. Along with it, there's the interesting case of Abu Azza. Abu Azza was a man who came with the Quraysh to fight against the Muslims in Badr. He didn't have any money to give as ransom. So he pleaded with the Prophet ﷺ that allow me to go. The Prophet ﷺ said you can go with one condition. You take an oath that you won't fight the Muslims anymore. Right? The Prophet ﷺ was about building these relationships. So he agreed and he swore an oath that I will not fight the Muslims. He was a poet. And so when he went back to Mecca, some of the people of the Quraysh, they specifically came to him. And they told him that إِنَّكَ إِمْرُؤٌ شَاعِرٌ فَعِنَّا بِلِسَانِكَ وَخْرُجْ مَعَنَا They said, you're a poet, so why don't you help us? Why don't you be kind of a spokesman for us? You know, help us with the propaganda and the recruitment of an army and come with us. So he even said, he said that, look, Muhammad ﷺ did me a favor and I told him I wouldn't fight. They said that, well... If you're willing to fight with us, Safwan bin Umayyah told us, so he, sa- he tells him, in rajata ughnika. That, you know, if you come back alive, which is what we'll try to do, I'll make you a rich man. And Mu'azza was not a wealthy man, so he was very much enticed by this offer, and unfortunately he ended up accepting the offer, and he became a key part of their recruitment in terms of recruiting an army. Some of his uh, poems and things like that are also mentioned, um, where he says, Aya bani abdi manatir ruzam, antum humatun wa abukum hami, la ya'aduni nasrukum ba'da la'ami, la tuslimuni la yahillu islami. 
That he basically was calling on the Quraysh and he's saying that, you know, you are honorable people, the children of honorable men. So he says that you should, you know, um, this, is, this is your year, basically trying to say this is your year, this is your moment, and that, um, you know, I'm not with Islam and I'm with you. In another place, he, will, you know, it talks about uh, another poet who was also a part of this recruitment effort, saying, "Ya mali mal al hasab al muqaddami, anshudu al qurba wa dash wa wa tadhammi, man kana thi rahimin wa man lam yarhumi al hilfa washtal balad al muharrami, inda hatim al kabat al muadzami." That again, he was kind of enticing them and saying, "What's wrong with you? You are people of honor. You are people of family. You are people of a great tribe. Why aren't you offended by what happened to your family members? You are the. You should take an oath." Right Right here in the sacred land, in the sacred place of Mecca, that you will exact revenge. So they ended up in this way, in this manner, kind of gathering together an army and getting people together. They had the money, now they were getting the people together, they had the alliances in place. And this is where also specifically the story comes in that will continue a little bit later on. We're going to talk about specifically in a session. But Jubair bin Mut'im, who was one of the leaders of the Quraysh, he had a slave, an African slave, Habashi slave, East African slave, by the name of Wahshi. The story of Wahshi is very famous. And so Wahshi was specifically known as being kind of like um, an expert marksman. Kind of like what we would call a sniper. He was an expert marksman. Actually, one of the things that you know, he would hire him out to do is almost like a form of entertainment at their carnivals and festivals and things like that. He would, you know, kind of you know, display and show off his aim and his skill. And so he would be like a part of the entertainment. So, Jubair bin Mut'im goes to Wahshi and he says that, أُخْرُجْ مَعَ I want you to go with the army that's getting ready to go. فَإِنْ أَنْتَ قَتَلْتَ حَمْزَ عَمِّ مُحَمَّدْ بِعَمِّ تُعَيْمَةُ بْنُ عَدِي فَأَنْتَ عَتِيقٌ So he says that, I want you to go with the army. And if you are able to kill the uncle of Muhammad sallallahu Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, in revenge of my uncle who was killed um, at the Battle of Badr, whose name was Tu'aymat ibn Adi, then I will free you. Fa'anta atiq, you are freed from the bonds of slavery. So the narration basically mentions that Quraysh, along with all their allies of Kinana and Tihama, they got every and the Ahabish, they got together, they had about 3,000 people, 3,000 uh, soldiers, and they started marching towards Medina. One of the interesting things, again, there were a lot of, you know, this was, um, there, there were a lot of strong emotions in Mecca at this time. They saw this as, a, as you know, their chance to exact revenge. And so, one of the things that they did was that they took their wives, they took their women, so in Badr, remember, they took women. But the women that they took were like, you know, it's not a good thing, but they took like hired women. You know, maybe for singing and dancing and even, um, you know, prostitutes and things like that. They took the Quraysh, the Meccans, they took women like this. In Uhud, that's not who they took. In Uhud, they took their own wives. They took their own daughters. Actually, some of the books of uh, Sirah mention very specifically Abu Sufyan, Sakhr ibn Harb, whose name is Sakhr ibn Harb. Abu Sufyan, he took his wife, Hind bint Utbah, with him. Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahal, took his wife, 
um, who was also his cousin, Ummu Hakim bint al-Harith. Um, Al-Harith ibn Hisham took his wife Fatima bint al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. Safwan bin Umayyah took his wife uh, Bay Raza bint Mas'ud. Amr bin al-As, he took his wife Ray, um, whose name was Bareta bint Munabbah, who was the mother of Abdullah bin, um, Abdullah bin Amr bin al-As. Alright, they would eventually become Muslim. But Amr bin al-As brought his wife as well. And there's many others uh, that Ibn Ishaq mentions that who specifically took their wives. So what you're seeing here is that even the leaders of the army, you know, typically you would expect that they would, you know, make somebody else take their women if they needed women for work. No, no. But the leaders of the army took their wives. And their specific mentality, their key, their, the, their strategy or their mentality in taking their wives was that... They basically took, it, took their wives as motivation. They took their own families, their own wives and daughters as motivation. That look, come, you know, running away from the battlefield is not an option. We got women. Right? So we, we have people that we have to look after. So no running from the battlefield. And we have to win. Defeat is not an option. Otherwise, what will happen to our women folk? Not realizing, of course, the Muslims weren't like the way that they were. The Muslims wouldn't, you know, treat their women the way that victorious armies oftentimes treat women. But nevertheless, that was their mentality. They were just thinking, what would we do? If we won the battle and they had their women folk with them, what would we do with their women folk? So now if we take our women folk, we're basically saying, you know, like they kind of give the example, you know, an army arrives at the shore and then burns their ships, no return. This is it, no going back. Retreat is not an option. So this was the mentality of the Quraysh as they went into the battle of Uhud. So anyways, they start traveling in the direction of... They start traveling in the direction of Medina. When they arrived near Medina, the Prophet of Allah وسلم, was informed. The Prophet وسلم, was informed that look, there's an army of 3,000 Quraysh, Meccans, and their allies who have arrived near Medina. The Prophet وسلم, summoned the Muslims, gathered everyone together in Medina, and he told them about what the situation was. And there's multiple narrations, I'll share a couple of them because they all vary from one another, just minorly. But the Prophet ﷺ said, Inni qad, inni qad The Prophet of Allah ﷺ said that, I've seen something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by khayran, the scholars mentioned that ma'nahu wahyan. Allah has showed me something. That the Prophet ﷺ saw a dream. He said, Ra'aytu baqran tuthbah. I saw that a, a, a cow or a, a, an ox, right, is being sacrificed, is being killed. I saw that an ox or a bull is being killed, an animal. And I saw that the tip of my sword is broken. That the sword, you know, where it's sharp, the point at the end of the sword where it's sharp, he said that I, I saw that that is chipped off, it is broken. وَرَأَيْتُ أَنِّي أَدْخَلْتُ يَدِي فِي دِرْعٍ حَصِينَةٍ And the Prophet ﷺ said that I saw that I put my hand inside of my armor to protect myself. You know, so like you can imagine when it's cold, you put your hands inside of your pocket. 
Or you might see your kids do something like, you know, when it gets cold and they'll pull their arms inside their sleeves, inside of their shirt, right? To seek refuge from the cold. The Prophet ﷺ said that I saw that I put my hands inside of my armor to protect my hands. فَأَوَّلْتُهَا المدينة. And the Prophet ﷺ said the interpretation of the dream is that the animal is being sacrificed which is representative of a loss of blood, blood flowing which is a loss of life. Muslims will die. I have been shown that Muslims will die. This is the decree of Allah. And I've seen that the sword is broken. The sword being broken, the scholars discuss it at quite some length. What does that exactly, the Prophet mean by that? Some mentioned that, again, that there will be, you know, some difficulty in battle. But some of the scholars actually mentioned that it also refers to the fact that the Prophet ﷺ will be injured himself in the battle. And some actually mentioned that one of the people, you know, that the Prophet ﷺ has re- had referred to as a strength of the Muslims, which was Hamza, Right? And the Prophet ﷺ would actually, you know, he would eventually give the title of Sayyidullah to Khalid ibn al-Walid. But the Prophet ﷺ also referred to Hamza as one of the Asyaful Muslimin, one of the swords of the Muslims. He is the sharp end of the army of the Muslims. The sharp end of the sword of the Muslims. So some say that this means that the Prophet ﷺ was kind of foretold that the Muslims will lose someone very key to the Muslim community. And that was the death of Hamza. Some even say that because it was Khalid ibn al-Walid, which we will talk about in discussing the battle, who, was very, who played a key role in the turning of events on the day of Uhud, that it was actually alluding to the fact that the sword will actually you know, fight against us. Later on, it would join the Muslims, but the sword will be pointed against us. And then one of it is that the Prophet himself will be injured. Either way, it's again um, representative, symbolic of loss. So life will be lost, right? There will be a loss in terms of like even our position in the battlefield. And then the Prophet I'm saying that I saw that I put my hands inside of my armor to protect them. And he said the armor... The armor is symbolic and representative of the city of Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ said that we must stay inside of Medina. That is our best chance of protecting ourselves. And then the Prophet ﷺ, in a more longer narration that's a little bit more explicit and very interesting, the Prophet ﷺ said, رَأَيْتُ فِي الْمَنَامِ مِنْ إِلَىٰ أَرْضٍ بِهَا نَخْلٌ I had seen in a dream that I would leave Mecca and migrate to a place where there are abundant date palms, date trees. I thought for a moment that maybe that was a place of Yamama. But rather it was Medina or what you used to call Yathrib. I also saw in a dream that I drew out my sword, but it broke. فَإِذَا هُوَ مَا أُصِيبَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَوْمَ أُحُدٍ That it was representative of the loss of life of the Muslims on the day of Uhud. ثُمَّ هَزَرْتُهُ أُخْرَى Then I drew another sword. فَعَادَ أَحْسَنَ مَا كَان But then it returned back. Then the sword returned back even better than it was before. فَإِذَا هُوَ مَا جَاءَ اللَّهُ بِهِ مِنَ الْفَتْحِ وَإِجْتِمَاعِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ 
And that was representative of the conquest of Mecca, symbolic of the conquest of Mecca, Fatshu Mecca. And how the Muslims were gathered and given strength by Allah. And I also saw this animal. Wallahi um, khairun. The Prophet ﷺ said, This is good. It seems like it's bad, but some good would come from this. That it was basically the people who died or were killed in the battle of Uhud. The Prophet ﷺ said that the good is the good that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed and the reward of standing firm and standing true and standing tall in the face of the challenges that will come before us after the battle of Badr. And this is basically speaking about the battle of Uhud. So this was basically what transpired um, pre-Badr. So now that the Prophet ﷺ had communicated this to them, there was a little bit of a there, there was a little bit of a there, there was some discussion amongst the Muslims. Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma he relates this that كان رأي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم جاءه المشركون يوم أحد كان رأيه أن يقيم بالمدينة فيقاتلهم فيها right that when the day of Uhud came the Prophet initial position or opinion thought was that we should stay in Medina and fight and fight from there and that it's better off for us and some of the books of Sirah even discuss that because the way that even Medina was constructed the Prophet even kind of had you know, taken a look at Medina and consulted with some people and the way that even Medina was kind of built and constructed that some of the homes that were at the edge of Medina could almost serve as a makeshift fort. And they basically would position themselves on top of the homes in a way that as they were kind of coming in to Medina, the army would come into Medina, it would kind of, you know, siphon them off. It would siphon and kind of filter them through. Thinning them out a little bit. And then from having the vantage point, from being on top, they would basically be able to thin out the herd from there. They'd be able to, you know, uh, to quite an extent, incur huge losses upon the army. And what they would do is they would take all the women and children in Medina and put them on the opposite end, on the opposite side of Medina, as far away as possible from the action, and from there maintain their strategic vantage point and just... Just be there and continue to uh, repel them. And they were fairly confident that we can incur, we can inflict rather, excuse me, we can inflict upon them serious enough casualties in terms of numbers to the point where eventually we'll repel them and they'll be forced to leave and retreat. So this was kind of the idea. So there was some strategy to this. But Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he says that there was a little bit of a discussion among some of the Muslims. Some of the Sahaba who did not participate in the Battle of Badr, because remember, the Battle of Badr was not expected to be a battle when they left Medina. They thought they were going to intercept the caravan. It turned into the Battle of Badr. And Badr is not right outside of Medina, it's farther away from Medina. So there wasn't even the opportunity to be able to, for people to come out and join. So <clears throat> many of the Sahaba, when they heard about the stories of Badr and the virtue of Badr and all, everything that transpired at Badr, they felt like they had missed out. So they said, 
تخرج بنا يا رسول الله إليهم نقاتلهم بأحد. He said, O Messenger of God, take us with you out there. Let us meet them in the battlefield and we will fight them. ورجوا أن يصيبهم من الفضيلة ما أصاب أهل بدر. They wanted that virtue, that that fadila, that virtue, that reward, right? فما زالوا برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى لبس أداته. ثم ندموا وقالوا يا رسول الله أقم فالرأي رأيك فقال لهم ما ينبغي لنبي أن يضع أداته بعد ما لبسها حتى يحكم الله بينه وبين عدوه So they kept insisting on the Prophet ﷺ, take us with you, let's go out there, let's meet them out there. Multiple narrations talk about this. So the narrations mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, he thought about it. He said, okay, let's think about it. As far as they were concerned, tentatively, tentatively the plan was, we're going to stay in Medina and repel the Quraysh from Medina, from this makeshift fortress that we have. The narration mentions that the next day was the day of Jumu'ah. It was the day of Friday. And the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, he led the Sahaba in the Jumu'ah prayer. After Jumu'ah, one of the uh, Banu Najjar, one of the Muslims of Banu Najjar, one of the Muslims of the Ansar who had passed away, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ performed his janazah. And then the Prophet ﷺ went home. When the Prophet ﷺ went home, he put on his armor. And when he came out from his home, he was wearing the armor. And when the Sahaba saw him, that there was some, you know, kind of regret and remorse. Because non-stop until then, you know, some people were kind of insisting to the Prophet ﷺ. So then there was some remorse. Some of the narrations say, some of the elders of the Ansar went to some of these younger men who were, you know, insisting to the Prophet ﷺ and kind of said like, look what you did. You made the Prophet ﷺ uncomfortable. Right? And you kept insisting. Now he's doing this because you insisted or you requested. Right? So they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, no, yeah, O Messenger of Allah, let's stay in Medina. You are correct, O Messenger of Allah. We feel bad. We shouldn't have insisted. We shouldn't have done what we did and said what we said. And the Prophet said, No, no, no. It is not appropriate. It is not befitting of a Prophet of God that he puts on, when he puts on his armor, that he remove it until he has met the enemy in the battlefield. Right? We're people of conviction. We're people of conviction. Regardless of what we're doing. Put on the ihram, we go for hajj or umrah. And we don't come back otherwise. We make wudu, we go pray. And when we put on the armor, then we go into the battlefield. So this is what we're doing now. So the Prophet wasallam, <coughs> excuse me, he gathered all the Muslims together, basically told everyone to prepare um, and to gather together. And... In fact, it also mentions that Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, at that time, once the Prophet made up his mind, he came to the Prophet and he said that, O Messenger of God, don't worry about it. That I swear by the one who sent the Quran down upon you, O Messenger of God, we will fight them. And we will meet them in the battlefield. So they ended up going into the battlefield. And there's now some of the stories. One of the um, individuals 
Nu'man ibn Malik ibn Tha'laba, who was from Banu Salim, he came to the Prophet sallallahu he said, Ya Nabi Allah, la tahrimna al-jannata. La tahrimna al-jannata. Fawalladhi nafsi biyadihi la adkhulannaha. He said, O oh Messenger of God, do not deprive us of the opportunity to go to Jannah. Because I swear by Allah, I will go to Jannah. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ, intrigued by the man's convictions, right? He said, Bima. With what? Like, what makes you so confident? He said, Bi anni yuhibullaha wa rasulahu. I love Allah and His Messenger. That's good enough. I love Allah and His Messenger. Wala afiru yawm zahf. And I'm willing to prove it that when we go into the battlefield, I will not run. فَقَالَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم صَدَقْتْ The Prophet ﷺ said, you have spoken the truth. The narration says, وَاسْتُشْهِدَ يَوْمَئِذٍ This was the dua of the Prophet ﷺ. When the Prophet ﷺ says, صَدَقْتْ You have spoken the truth, that's it. And he was shaheed on the day of Uhud. And he died on the day of Uhud and was from amongst the shuhada. So, once they gathered everyone together, the Prophet of Allah وسلم, he started to set out um, towards the place of Uhud. They started to leave. Um, they started to leave Medina to go out and meet the enemy in the battlefield. At that time, the narrations mentioned that there were a thousand. There were a thousand people with the Muslims. So the Muslim army was a thousand people, and the army of the Mushrikun was three thousand. But what ended up happening was, when the, as soon as they arrived at the place of Uhud, and the army of the Mushrikun had arrived there as well, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who is known as Ra'isul Munafiqeen, he was the leader of the hypocrites. He at that time confronted the Prophet ﷺ quite disrespectfully, and he said to the Prophet ﷺ that in ra'aytum an tuqimu bil madinati wa tad'uhum haythu nazalu fa in qamu wa qamu bi sharri maqamin wa inhum dakhalu alayna qatalnahum fiha rather excuse me um, so this was what was said so Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Sulul he came to the Prophet ﷺ he said ya Rasulullah la takhruj ilayhim Let's not fight them out here. He said, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا خَرَجْنَا مِنْهَا إِلَىٰ عَدُوٍ قَدْتُوا إِلَّا أَصَابَ مِنَّا He said, listen, I've lived in Medina longer than you have. You know kind of when somebody takes that tone? Listen, listen. I've lived in Medina much longer than you have, alright? I've been around longer than you have. I know you think you know what you're doing, but let me tell you how things work. Every time we go outside of Medina and we fight somebody, we lose. And he says that, وَلَا دَخَلَهَا عَلَيْنَا إِلَّا أَصَبْنَا مِنْهُ But every time that people try to come and attack us in Medina, we defeat them. So, but eventually when the Prophet ﷺ did make the decision to go out to Uhud, he says to the Prophet, he says at that time, إِسْتَكْرَهَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ And he said that the Prophet ﷺ forced us to come out here. So, أَطَاعَهُمْ وَعَصَانِي Muhammad would rather listen to some of the, these riffraff and ignore what I'm telling him. مَا نَدْرِي عَلَى مَا نَقْتُلُ أَنفُسَنَا هَاهُنَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ Why should we kill ourselves when Muhammad doesn't even listen to us? 
So he took the people that basically he had brought with him back to Medina. And those were about 300 people. So he abandoned the Muslim army um, along with 300 of his own supporters, thereby decreasing the number of Muslims down to 700 people. It also mentions at that time that some of the um, people came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, O Messenger of Allah, should we ask some of the Jews to join us? Let us ask some of the Medinan Jews, they are our allies. This, this is basically an attack on Medina. It's Uhud, it's right outside of Medina. And if we don't go to Uhud, then they'll come into Medina. We should ask some of our allies, the Medinan Jews, to come and fight with us. The Prophet said, We don't need them. We don't need them. Look, they're not going to come. They're going to make all types of excuses. They're going to pretend like they're coming and then back out of it. Like this man, Abdullah bin Ubay, he took his people and backed out as well. The Prophet said, we don't need him and we don't need his 300 and we don't need those people either. We can handle this situation. And so at that time, the Prophet goes out to Uhud and then they, they settle down in Uhud. When Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul retreated with his 300 people, Banu Salima and Banu Haritha. Banu Salima and Banu Haritha, these were two of the Ansari tribes. These were two of the Arab tribes in Medina, two of the Ansari tribes. Banu Salima specifically were the people where the, one of the first musallas, one of the first prayer places was established outside of Masjid Nabawi, within Medina. There was Quba, which was outside of Medina, and Banu Salima. So Banu Salima and Banu Haritha, there was some unrest in their ranks. They were amongst the 700 Muslims, but there was some unrest in their ranks. And there was some discussion about leaving and going back. That we should also abandon ship. And we should go back to Medina as well. This is not a good idea. But then what ended up happening is that they were able to recover amongst themselves and reaffirm their convictions and intentions and they ended up staying. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in Surah Ali Imran when Allah says, Two groups from amongst the Muslims, they thought about leaving. They thought about abandoning. Wallahu waliyuhuma. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is their ally. And only upon Allah do believers put their trust and their dependence and reliance. Jabir bin Abdullah, Jabir bin Abdullah, who is from Banu Salima, he was asked, Does that ayah ever bother you? Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu is from Banu Salima. He was asked, does that ayah ever bother you? Right? Allah is saying, Y'all thought about jumping ship. You thought about abandoning Muhammad sallallahu And Uhud, and the army of the Muslims. Doesn't it sting when you hear that? He said, ما أحب أنها لم تنزل. I would not have it any other way than that ayah coming down. I would not have it any other way. I love this ayah. No ayah is more beloved to me in the entire Quran. Why? He says, don't you read the rest of the ayah? Wallahu yaqul, wallahu waliyuhuma. Allah said, He is our friend. Yeah, we were weak. But Allah said, He is our friend. So I love this ayah. Right? So, 
Once some of this initial sorting uh, out occurred at that particular time, that the Muslims were able to kind of gather themselves, the munafiqun they left, right? It was actually a filtering that Allah provided so that they would not have hypocrites running around amongst them once the battle actually started and the, the, the battle was raging and intensified. So the munafiqun they left, right? Some of the Muslims who were mu'minun, who were believers, were a little shaken up, but then they were able to kind of gather themselves and strengthen themselves, you know, and that now they settled down, 700 Muslims ready to go at the place of Uhud. Across from them, 3,000 mushrikun lined up, armed, ready to go, ready to fight. Now at this particular time, the Prophet ﷺ, he would make some very key strategic decisions about the battle. Right? About the mountain pass, placing the archers there, about some of the key warriors and soldiers the Prophet ﷺ would identify and place them at the front line, at the front, uh, you know, at the front ranks of the army and so on and so forth. Inshallah, we'll talk about that part of it and the actual battle taking place as well in the coming session. We'll go ahead and pause here. We have to go ahead and stop in time for Salat al-Isha, inshallah. So we'll stop here. This is the first half of the Battle of Uhud. We'll talk about the actual battle itself uh, in the next session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfirka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.